Chapter 52 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Consuelo by George Sand. Chapter 52. It was indeed a happy day for Albert when he saw her whom he had restored to life leaning on the arm of his father, and offer him her hand in the presence of his family, saying, with an ineffable smile, This is he who saved me, and tended me as if I had been his sister. But this day, which was the climax of his happiness, changed suddenly, and more than he could have anticipated, his relations with Consuelo. Henceforth, the formalities of the family circle precluded her being often alone with him. The old count, who appeared to have even a greater regard for her than before her illness, bestowed the utmost care upon her, with a kind of paternal gallantry which she felt deeply. The canoness observed a prudent silence, but nevertheless made it a point to watch over all her movements, and to form a third party in all her interviews with Albert. At length, as the latter gave no indication of returning mental alienation, they determined to have the pleasure of receiving and even inviting relations and neighbors long neglected. They exhibited a kind of simple and tender ostentation in showing how polite and sociable the young Count Rudolstadt had become and Consuelo seemed to exact from him, by her looks and example, the fulfillment of the wishes of his relations, in exercising the duties of a hospitable host, and displaying the manners of a man of the world. This sudden transformation cost him a good deal. He submitted to it, however, to please her he loved. But he would have been better satisfied with longer conversations and a less interrupted intercourse with her. He patiently endured whole days of constraint and annoyance in order to obtain in the evening a word of encouragement or gratitude. But when the canoness came, like an unwelcome specter, and placed herself between them, he felt his soul troubled and his strength abandon him. He passed nights of torment and often approached the cistern which remained clear and pellucid since the day he had ascended from it, bearing Consuelo in his arms. Plunged in mournful reverie, he almost cursed the oath which bound him never to return to his hermitage. He was terrified to feel himself thus unhappy, and not to have the power of burying his grief in his subterranean retreat. The change in his features, after his sleeplessness, and the transitory but gradually more frequent return of his gloomy and distracted air could not fail to excite the observation of his relatives and his friend. But the latter found means to disperse these clouds and regain her empire over him whenever it was threatened. She commenced to sing, and immediately the young count, charmed or subdued, was consoled by tears, or animated with new enthusiasm. This was an infallible remedy, and when he was able to address a few words to her in private, Consuelo, he exclaimed, you know the paths to my soul. 
you possess the power refused to the common herd and possess it more than any other being in this world. You speak in language divine. You know how to express the most sublime emotions and communicate the impulses of your own inspired soul. Sing always when you see me downcast. The words of your songs have but little sense for me. They are but the theme, the imperfect indication on which the music turns and is developed. I hardly hear them. What alone I hear and what penetrates into my very soul is your voice, your accent, your inspiration. Music expresses all that the mind dreams and foresees of mystery and grandeur. It is the manifestation of a higher order of ideas and sentiments that any to which human speech can give expression. It is the revelation of the infinite, and when you sing, I only belong to humanity insofar as humanity has drunk in what is divine and eternal in the bosom of the Creator. All that your lips refuse of consolation and support in the ordinary routine of life, all that social tyranny forbids your heart to reveal, your songs convey to me a hundredfold. You then respond to me with your whole soul, and my soul replies to yours in hope and fear, in transports of enthusiasm and rapture. Sometimes Albert spoke thus, in Spanish, to Consuelo in presence of his family. But the evident annoyance which the canonists experienced, as well as a sense of propriety, prevented the young girl from replying. At length one day, when they were alone in the garden, and he again spoke of the pleasure he felt in hearing her sing, since music is a language more complete and more persuasive than that of words, said she, why do you not speak thus to me, you who understand it better than I do? I do not understand you, Consuelo, said the young Count, surprised. I am only a musician in listening to you. Do not endeavor to deceive me, she replied. I never but once heard sounds divinely human drawn from the violin. And it was by you, Albert, in the grotto of the Schreckenstein. I heard you that day before you saw me. I discovered your secret, but you must forgive me and allow me again to hear that delightful air, of which I recollect a few bars, and which revealed to me beauties in music to which I was previously a stranger. Consuelo sang in a low tone a few phrases which he recollected indistinctly, but which Albert immediately recognized. It is a popular hymn, said he, on some Hussite words. The words are by my ancestor, Hinkle Potiabrad, the son of King George, and one of the poets of the country. We have an immense number of admirable poems by Stray, Simon Lomnicki, and many others, which are prohibited by the police. These religious and national songs, set to music by the unknown geniuses of Bohemia, are not all preserved in the memory of her inhabitants. The people retain some of them, however, and Zdenko, who has an extraordinary memory and an excellent taste for music, knows a great many, which I have collected and arranged. They are very beautiful, and you will have pleasure in learning them. 
but I can only let you hear them in my hermitage. My violin, with all my music, is there. I have their precious manuscripts, collections of ancient Catholic and Protestant authors. I will wager that you do not know either Josquin, many of whose themes Luther has transmitted to us in his choruses, nor the younger Claude, nor Arkadelt, nor George Raw, nor Benoit Ducis, nor John Device. Would not this curious research induce you, dear Consuelo, to pay another visit to my grotto, from which I have been exiled so long a time, and to visit my church, which you have not yet seen? This proposal, although it excited the curiosity of the young artist, was tremblingly listened to. This frightful grotto recalled recollections which you could not think of without a shudder, and in spite of all the confidence she placed in him, the idea of returning there alone with Albert caused a painful emotion, which he quickly perceived. You dislike the idea of this pilgrimage, said he, which nevertheless you promised to renew. Let us speak of it no more. Faithful to my oath, I shall never undertake it without you. You remind me of mine, Albert, she replied, and I shall fulfill it as soon as you ask it. But, my dear doctor, you forget that I have not yet the necessary strength. Would you not first permit me to see this curious music and hear this admirable artist who plays on the violin much better than I sing? I know not if you jest, dear sister, but this I know that you shall hear me nowhere but in my grotto. It was there I first tried to make my violin express the feelings of my heart. For although I had for many years a brilliant and frivolous professor, largely paid by my father, I did not understand it. It was there I learned what true music is and what a sacrilegious mockery is substituted for it by the greater portion of mankind. For my own part, I declare that I could not draw a sound from my violin if my spirit were not bowed before the divinity. Were I even to see you unmoved beside me, attentive merely to the composition of the pieces I play, and curious to scrutinize my talent, I doubt not that I would play so ill that you would soon weary of listening to me. I have never, since I knew how to use it, touched the instrument consecrated by me to the praise of God or to the expression of my ardent prayers without feeling myself transported into an ideal world and without obeying a sort of mysterious inspiration not always under my control. I am not unworthy, replied Consuelo, deeply impressed and all attention to comprehend your feelings with regard to music. I hope soon to be able to join your prayer with a soul so fervent and collected that my presence shall not interfere with your inspiration. Ah, my dear Albert, why cannot my master Porpora hear what you say of the heavenly art? He would throw himself at your feet. Nevertheless, this great artist himself is less severe in his views on this subject than you are. He thinks the singer and the virtuoso should draw their inspiration from the sympathy and admiration of their auditory. It is perhaps because Porphyra confounds in music religious sentiment with human thought 
and that he looks upon sacred music with the eyes of a Catholic. If I were in his place, I would reason as he does. If I were in a communion of faith and sympathy with the people professing the same worship as myself, I would seek in contact with these souls, animated with a light religious sentiment, the inspiration which heretofore I have been forced to court in solitude, and which consequently I have hitherto imperfectly realized. If ever I have the pleasure of mingling the tones of my violin with those of your divine voice, Consuelo, doubtless I would ascend higher than I have ever done, and my prayer would be more worthy of the deity. But do not forget, dear child, that up to this day my opinions have been an abomination in the eyes of those who surrounded me, and that those whom they failed to shock would have turned them into ridicule. This is why I have hidden, as a secret between God, Pujzadenko, and myself, the humble gift which I possess. My father likes music and would have this instrument, which is sacred to me as the symbols of the Eleusinian mysteries, conduce to his amusement. What would become of me if they were to ask me to accompany a cavatina for Amelia? And what would be my father's feelings if I were to play one of those old Hussite airs which have sent so many Bohemians into the mines or to the scaffold, or a more modern hymn of our Lutheran ancestors, from whom he blushes to have descended? Alas, Consuelo, I know nothing more modern. There are, no doubt, admirable things of a later date. From what you tell me of Handel and the other great masters, from whose works you have been instructed. Their music would seem to me superior in many respects to that which I am about to teach you. But to know and learn this music, it would be necessary to put myself in relation with another musical world. And it is with you alone that I can resolve to do so. With you alone I can seek the despised or neglected treasures which you are about to bestow on me in overflowing measure. And I, said Consuelo, smiling, think I shall not undertake the charge of this education. What I heard in the grotto was so beautiful, so grand, so incomparable, that I should fear in doing so, only to muddy a spring of crystal. Oh, Albert, I see plainly that you know more of music than I do. And now what will you say to the profane music of which I am forced to be a professor? I fear to discover in this case, as in the other, that I have hitherto been beneath my mission and guilty of equal ignorance and frivolity. Far from thinking so, Consuelo, I look upon your profession as sacred, and as it is the loftiest which a woman can embrace, so is your soul the most worthy to fill such an office. Stay, stay, dear Count, replied Consuelo, smiling. For my often speaking to you of the convent where I learned music and the church where I sung the praises of God, you conclude that I was destined to the service of the altar or the modest teachings of the cloister. But if I should inform you that the Zingarella, faithful to her origin, was from infancy the sport of circumstances and that her education was at once a mixture of religious and profane, to which her will was equally inclined. 
careless whether it were in the monastery or the theater. Certain that God has placed his seal on your forehead and devoted you to holiness from your mother's womb, I should not trouble myself about these things, but retain the conviction that you would be as pure in the theater as in the cloister. What? Would not your strict ideas of morality be shocked at being brought in contact with an actress? In the dawn of religion, said he, the theater and the temple were one and the same sanctuary. In the purity of their primitive ideas, religious worship took the form of popular shows. The arts had their birth at the foot of the altar, the dance itself. That art, now consecrated to ideas of impure voluptuousness, was the music of the senses and the festivals of the gods. Music and poetry were the highest expressions of faith, and a woman endowed with genius and beauty was at once a sibyl and priestess. To these severely grand forms of the past, absurd and culpable distinctions succeeded. Religion proscribed beauty from its festivals, and woman from its solemnities. Instead of ennobling and directing love, it banished and condemned it. Beauty, woman, love cannot lose their empire. Men have raised for themselves other temples, which they call theaters, and where no other god presides. Is it your fault, Consuelo, if they have become dens of corruption? Nature, who perfects her prodigies without troubling herself, as to how men may receive them, has formed you to shine among your sex and to shed over the world the treasures of your power and genius. The cloister and the tomb are synonymous. You cannot, without morally committing suicide, bury the gifts of providence. You were obliged to wing your flight to a freer atmosphere. Energy is the condition of certain natures. An irresistible impulse impels them. And the decrees of the deity in this respect are so decided that he takes away the faculties which he has bestowed so soon as they are neglected. The artist perishes and becomes extinct in obscurity, just as the thinker wanders and pines in solitude, and just as all human intellect is deteriorated and weakened and enervated by inaction and isolation. Repair to the theater, Consuelo, if you please, and submit with resignation to the apparent degradation as the representative for the moment of a soul destined to suffer, of a lofty mind which vainly seeks for sympathy in the world around us, but which is forced to abjure a melancholy that is not the element of its life, and out of which the breath of the Holy Spirit imperiously expels it. Albert continued to speak in this strain for a considerable time with great animation, hurrying Consuelo on to the recesses of his retreat. He had little difficulty in communicating to her his own enthusiasm for art, or in making her forget her first feeling of repugnance to re-enter the grotto. When she saw that he anxiously desired it, she began to entertain a wish for this interview in order to become better acquainted with the ideas which this ardent yet timid man dared to express before her so boldly. These ideas were new to Consuelo, and perhaps they were entirely so in the mouth of a person of noble rank of that time and country. 
They only struck her, however, as the bold and frank expression of sentiments which she herself had frequently experienced in all their force. Devout and an actress, she every day heard the canoness and the chaplain unceasingly condemn her brethren of the stage. In seeing herself restored to her proper sphere by a serious and reflecting man, she felt her heart throb and her bosom swell with exultation, as if she had been carried up into a more elevated and more congenial life. Her eyes were moistened with tears, and her cheeks glowed with a pure and holy emotion, when at the end of an avenue she perceived the canoness who was seeking her. "'Ah, dear priestess,' said Albert, pressing her arm against his breast, "'will you not come to pray in my church?' Yes, certainly I shall go, she replied. And when? Whenever you wish. Do you think I am able yet to undertake this new exploit? Yes, because we shall go to the Schreckenstein in broad daylight and by a less dangerous route than the well. Do you feel sufficient courage to rise before the dawn and to escape through the gates as soon as they are opened? I shall be in this underwood, which you see at the side of the hill there, by the stone cross, and shall serve as your guide. Very well, I promise, replied Consuelo, not without a slight palpitation of heart. It appears rather cool this evening for so long a walk, does it not? asked the canoness, accosting them in her calm yet searching manner. Albert made no reply. He could not dissemble. Consuelo, who did not experience equal emotion, passed her other arm within that of the canoness, and kissed her neck. When Salawa vainly pretended indifference, but in spite of herself, she submitted to the ascendancy of this devout and affectionate spirit. She sighed, and on entering the castle, proceeded to put up a prayer for her conversion. End of chapter 52